0: Welcome back to the Fantasy Film Lab. Today we have part two of the draft episode with Dwayne McFarland. We dive deep into the guys that we consider our guys. Who are the biggest values in your fantasy drafts this year.
1: Astronauts report, it feels good. Ignition sequence start. Six, five,
0: four, three, two, one. Okay, so, you know, we're getting close to the kickoff for the season here. One thing I want to do, we have our guys. We've gone through the projection process. You know, your your projection process is up there amongst anybody who's doing them. I started doing them this year after reading a lot of your work. One of the best things that it offers you as a fantasy player is really identifying those market inefficiencies where you see opportunities for big seasons that others may not. Uh, because, you know, you've gone through the offensive strategy. You've gone through the personnel usage Uh, You know, you understand the talent, you understand the opportunity. So I want to say, you know, plant the flag in the ground. Who are your guys this year? We can go position by position, you know, do it somewhat quick. Give these fantasy players a handful of guys to go after this year. Uh, I think you've most of your fantasy drafts are probably in the books, So you're not giving anything away that's going to hurt you in the pocketbook.
1: (laughs) Well, I've got I've I've got a bunch this weekend, but (laughs) I, I do have an article up called my guys and it's at PFF. It came out today. Um, So I, I'm going to name some guys here, but I'm not going to name everybody that's on that list. But if people want to see it, they can. They can still go see it.
0: I'll start with a quarterback, a guy that I love this year and think is being underdrafted. You know, he's in the QB 12 to 15 range. That's Matthew Stafford. You had Daryl Bevel take over as offensive coordinator last year. Their downfield passing, obviously Stafford, one of the best arms in the game, really increased. His average depth of target increased by about three yards. He was on pace for 5,000 passing yard season and 38 touchdowns over the first eight games of last year. When you talk about talent scheme fit, he, Marvin Jones, Kenny Galladay really sync up well. You know, those two receivers are excellent ball trackers, really good down the field, contested catch guys. Stafford's not, a tr- not afraid to throw it up in there. You have TJ Hawkinson hopefully taking another step. Those pass catching backs that we talked about, obviously DeAndre Swift, you know, one of the things he brings to the table is his receiving skill carry on johnson i think is an underrated receiving back as well they just locked up their left tackle to an extension i think everything is setting up for matthew stafford to potentially have a huge season
1: yeah man i love it i i'm on board I, the way i kind of lay out my quarterbacks this year um there are trigger points in the draft jay where it's like okay now this guy's in play really um and I'm not going to cover the top guys. Obviously, if Mahomes slides to you in the fifth, at that point, you're you're doing it, right? But in the first and second rounds, it's just, I'm not doing that. But these are the trigger points where I see inefficiencies in the market. When Dak makes it to the seventh round, I'm willing to pull the trigger on Prescott. When Josh Allen makes it to the 10th or 11th round, which I don't like him as an NFL quarterback, but I do realize what he can bring to the table fantasy-wise with his legs, his rushing touchdowns, He does have an upgraded receiving core. So even if that just means an extra 100 yards passing, whatever that may be, I'm not expecting a ton. I think Allen is being, you know, underdrafted. If I don't get out, and again, I don't force any of these by giving you these trigger points. What I'm telling folks is if there's something else sitting on the board that you just absolutely love, take it because that's what this strategy allows you to do. Um, Now, Dak is one that's tough for me to pass, you know, in the seventh, just because of the weapons. And I don't get him very much, right? These other guys fall much more often. So it's easier, you know, to still get them. So when Dak makes it to the seventh, you know, I typically will grab him just because I want to own, you know, at least six or seven shares of him this year. But once you get past Allen, for me, it comes into a tier of guys like what you just talked about. It's Brady, Stafford, and Drew Brees. And a lot of people, you know, they look at a guy like Drew Brees and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, you're going to have Taysom Hill. He takes all the red zone work. Guess how many passes Taysom Hill threw from inside the 20 last year?
0: I'm guessing zero.
1: Zero. <laughs> he, he's not taking Drew Brees' passes. When the Saints want to throw the ball, it's going to be Drew Brees. And guess what? When you look at Drew Brees's points per drop back, they're elite. He's still He's scoring over the last two years, those – he has jumped from being you know, decent in that area to they are just such a hyper-efficient offense that his points per drop back is up in the range of the Russell Wilsons and those guys that people are saying, oh, you have to have a running quarterback, which I love all those quarterbacks that have legs. I, I totally see the value in it. But people are discounting right the fact that when you really look at the whole picture, these other guys have just as much of a chance to score just as many points. And so I, I love the Stafford one. I even posted a couple of high-stakes drafts I'd done recently recently um, and two of them, you know, Stafford, I got in like the 14th round, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, other, other, other players had already taken the, taken their second quarterback and I was taking my first and I'm like, okay, thank you, Matt Stafford. Yes, please. For all the reasons that you said, and you know, Brady's the other one.
0: Yeah. Brady, I'm with, I'm right there with you on essentially everything that you talked <laughs> all these guys. And I, I think the thing for me is, you know, Stafford and Brady both become so cheap. And I think the volume is going to be there. The production will be there. Uh, You know, you talk about surrounding skill talent for Brady. It's going to be like night and day from what we saw last year. You know, it makes it hard even to take those other guys early on because, you know, you can get Stafford, you know, and Brady just so late in the draft. (laughs) It does. All right. Well, another guy that I really like as, you know, potentially a second quarterback, you can get him almost free. You know, we're talking about the last couple rounds of your draft. A young guy came on last year, you know, didn't put up amazing numbers. That's Drew Locke. They hired Pat Shermer this year as our offensive coordinator. Pat Shermer has coached all of these quarterbacks that you can remember sort of sucked, but had one good year in there. Talking Mark Sanchez, Nick Foles, Sam Bradford, Case Keenum. All of those guys, that one good year they had was with Pat Shermer calling the plays. Daniel Jones last year. The guy studied in depth this off season who really had some substantial deficiencies in working through his progressions, you know, feeling the rush, obviously fumbled a ton. Shermer was able to get him, you know, to 24 touchdowns, really excelled in the 12 games that he started. Uh, I think for that reason, and also, you know, watching Drew Locke and the reason he didn't put up numbers last year, I think the receivers often were not open. You had receivers running into each other. It didn't seem like they were really hitting things running from a scheme perspective. I think Drew Locke is very talented beyond his arm talent. I did see him processing the field, making good decisions. I mean, he's my second quarterback on nearly every team that I draft because I think that with the skill talent they added to Cortland Sutton, you know, now they have Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler, Noah Fant with another year under his belt, brought in Melvin Gordon as a receiving back. You know, there's a potential for some fireworks here when you talk about all that talent in a Pat Shermer offense. I think Drew Locke is the best quarterback that Pat Shermer's ever had. Wow, that's,
1: I guess, I guess we're looking back at Case Keenum and Daniel Jones, and I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember. Yeah,
0: it's not, it's not. A <laughs> <one>. <laughs> no, and I, I didn't
1: mean that in a bad way. You know, honestly, you know, he's the guy that if I'm taking another quarterback late, that I've been taking, and that's because of you. It's because of the stuff you posted on Twitter and then you and I talked and you shared some stuff with me. And I'm like, man, you know, Jay's got some good points here. Um, I most often don't draft a second quarterback. Um, again, you got to know your league's rules. Do waiver wires run before week one of the season. Um, you got to know your opponents. Are they going to draft up every single quarterback because their list ran out? <laughs> you know, they don't know who else to draft. but They're like, oh, I know this quarterback's name. I'll take him. Um, but I typically don't even take a second quarterback, especially this year because I draft usually in 20 round drafts and I still have to take a kicker and a defense and, and most of the formats I'm I'm in. And there are just 18 players or I'll say 17 outside of quarterback that I'm always willing to take in those rounds. But if I'm in a super flex, I've got Locke as my third quarterback because you just, you do got to carry three quarterbacks in a super flex. Um, so I've got Locke as my third quarterback in that situation. And I do in a couple of scenarios where people were just taking all the quarterbacks, and I didn't want to just sit around and be like, oh, um, you know, I got to figure out, you know, what I'm going to do on week one, and it could be really bad. In that situation, I just went ahead and took Locke, and it was based on, like I said, what you had showed me.
0: Yeah, I think he's a huge value in those super flexes. I want to hit some other positions here. Running back, you know, I, I think two guys that I am really excited about, we already touched on one, that's Nick Chubb. Uh, You know, I think we're seeing the Kareem Hunt discount a little too heavily on him. You know, when you're talking about getting him sort of mid-late second round, I wouldn't take him in round one um, because of all the things uh, that we talked about in terms of, you know, past game situations, you know, game script. But in mid-late round two, that's a guy that I'm very happy to draft. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is another player I'm very excited about. I've been excited about him since I studied him, you know, pre-draft. The scheme talent fit in Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, is really outstanding. You know, when you look at Andy Reid's usage of running backs, it he tailors it to his personnel, which is why he's such a good offensive coach. A guy that I really think is similar from a utilization standpoint is Brian Westbrook. And, in, I mean, in terms of skill set, uh, you know, when Westbrook really took over in Philly under Reid as the starting back, you know, he's getting targeted up to, you know, 20% target shares. With the volume I have them passing this year, that would be, you know, over 110 targets for Clyde. I don't think that's not where I have him projected, but that's sort of a high end. And, and, you know, obviously with his receiving skill and that kind of volume, you know, even ignoring any production in the running game, that's enough to get him up into, you know, top five to 10 running back territory. So a guy I'm very happy to take in the mid, uh, you know, second half of round one. Yeah, and I
1: think the interesting thing with Alaire, right? I am definitely lower on him, you know, in his in his targets, but it's such a hyper efficient offense, you know, you get to be part of an Andy Reid offense that's led by Patrick Mahomes that's got weapons that everybody has to worry about. And now you're going to get a guy like Edwards Alaire, it's like just I, I don't know how teams are going to account for him, you know, is what <laughs> is what I start to think. Like if you got to deal with Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill, and Sammy Watkins, and while Nico Hardman may have his flaws, he's still a guy that when he's out there, you know, I mean, teams know he's fast, right? And so there's just, I feel like there's so many ways for things to go right for Clyde Edwards-Alaire, um, you know, and I think he's a great fit for what they do. If you looked at him last year, uh, per Pro Football Focus, he had the highest grade of any college collegiate back and inside zone. That's the primary scheme that you know, the chiefs use. And when you look at Andy Reid's post press conference or post presser after the draft, that's one of the, that's one of the first things he talked about. He said, look, this guy's a great fit, like for our, for what we do schematically. And he named the guy that you mentioned, he named Brian Westbrook. That's who he talked about. Um, because there's so many other good weapons around him, unlike kind of what Westbrook had Westbrook was more of a, had to be the focal point because the, the Eagles just didn't have quite the receivers then. So I'm a little lower than you on the, on the receptions, but man, I just feel like the, the, Efficiency, um, the offense he's in—he's solidly a first-round pick. And in fact, I don't blame people. You know, I don't know your thoughts are on this, Jay. I don't blame people when they take Clyde Edwards-Alaire over, you know, Dalvin Cook. Uh, they may even take him over Kamara now if they're worried about it. Like in a in a vacuum, it's like, yeah, I'm—I would rather take Cook. But I get it. If you're worried about his shoulder, if you're worried he could still hold out. I don't think you're gonna lose a ton by drafting Clyde Edwards Alaire at the end of the day. And so I think he is honestly, he's even though he's a rookie, it's like amazing how safe he feels to me. Like I feel really warm and cozy when I take Clyde Edwards Alaire.
0: Yeah, and I, I mean I, I see it the same way because we have so many question marks with those other guys who are going in the same range. And just to clarify, I don't have Edwards Hilaire projected for 20% targets. You know, I have him down at 14. Uh, Mm -hmm. So just under 80, getting 60 receptions Uh, and, you know, getting under 200 carries in my projections. But even with all those things factored in, he, you know, just straight projections for PPR. He comes out as my fifth running back. So, you know, I I see a significant ceiling beyond that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that it is just such such a smash hit in terms of the fit in the offense. And people talk about the receiving skill, you know, somewhere where, Edward Hilaire is severely underrated is his skill as a runner. And it really gets back to, you know, the inside zone, really the the footwork, his vision, his ability to manipulate linebackers, those advanced, uh, the advanced skill sets that I was talking about that I didn't see from DeAndre Swift. You know, Clyde Edwards, Edwards Hilaire had that in spades at LSU. And when you watch the Chiefs running game last year, there were so many missed opportunities because Damian, Damian Williams is... Really poor in terms of doing those things between the tackles. You know, he's a good player in space, but all the time there are these huge running lanes that are just going to waste. Uh, not that their offensive line is creating them, but just the scheme. And the teams are so worried about Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey that, you know, you have five, six guys in the box. And there are these huge rushing lanes. And it's just like, man, a guy that can just have some efficient footwork, get up inside and run those plays is going to be averaging five, six yards a carry on this team. Uh, I I'm really excited to see how their offense plays out because I think that they just have so much talent across the board. I do think the receiving and tight end talent does limit his upside a bit. I'd be shocked if he gets twenty percent of the target share. Um, but even even without that, you know, I think he's a very viable round one running back.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I've only got him at like at eleven percent, and I still think he's viable. <laughs> <laughs> round one running back, but I think 14 could tur- could easily, you know, that type of thing could be in play easily. Um, so you gave a couple of the guys in the first and second round folks already heard us talk about James Connor. Um, the only thing I'll say about Connor is I know there's injury risk, but I, but where you're getting him. I, I really do feel like it's baked in. And obviously, you know, there's the worry a concern, right. With Ben Roethlisberger as well. So if you want to pass Connor and you just want to take a receiver there, I'm never going to blame anybody, but he's the last guy in my tier because I'm, I'm typically getting him in the third or the end of the second. And back to what we talked about earlier, I've got a strategy for how I'm going to get the receivers I want. And so it's not that I think James Connor is better than Chris Godwin. I don't, <laughs> but, I've got a strategy to make up for Godwin where it's a much tougher strategy to make up for Connor. If you miss him. Um, so, and I just love the scheme again, talk about a perfect fit, Jay. Like I just love the scheme. Connor plays in. Um, you know, his coach loves what he does. You know, I thought it was really telling, you know, when Mike Tomlin talked about the scheme and he actually told reporters and I don't think the reporters realized it at this time, they just wrote it down as a quote, but he told them why he's a bell guy. Why he likes to have one running back. And he talked about with their scheme, you know with all of the the, the pulls and um, you know all of the power run, he feels that really his running back and his offensive line have to basically be like a hand and glove type situation. and they have a, they have an extreme feel for one another. And that's why he likes to have that one one player and he really bases everything off of what plays he thinks they work best together on. And then that becomes literally like their staple, right? Those become the four to five run plays they're going to run a lot. And then they'll run variations off of that. And so Connor, you know, is a guy that's one Tomlin over in that way. And the other thing I like about Connor, if you're drafting this weekend, you know, Benny Snell only costs a 14th or 15th round pick. And, 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 the, and the everything in camp has said that he has come down trimmed up. He is lighter on his feet. And, you know, that he is the true cuff to Connor. So it's kind of hard to get a running back that may have some injury history that we know has top 12 upside and still be able to get his cuff in the 15th round. But that's what you have with Connor. And so that's also part of my strategy is that I'm not going to take a running back where now I've got to draft his handcuff in the eighth round because my opportunity costs are too high, but I can take Connor and get the cuff in the 15th, which works out perfect. So that's where I'm at with Connor. Um, I'll name another guy here. Um, this is a guy that you can draft after the 11th round, pretty much every draft. Um, and I've been taking him every draft. It's Joshua Kelly. I may own him more than any other player. I have to go back and look again. But he's he's been just, it's a steady drumbeat, if you know, to hat tip to Sigmund Bloom, right? And the terminology he uses, but everything about the guy since he's been drafted has been positive, right? And I mean, it's it's not all fluff stuff either. It's like when you dig in and you read, you know, what the reports from training camp, and you read, you know, what the coaches are saying about him, and then you wrote, you read about the type of you know snaps he's getting, you know, um, in practice with first team, um, and how they're trying to use him in very specific situations, like down around the goal line. Like I think that's pretty much locked. It's his. Um, I think the question is the between-the-20s running, right? Is is there a chance that Justin Jackson eats into that? Obviously, Eckler's going to get some component of that. And, you know, might they sub in Justin Jackson a little bit more, right, on passing downs whenever, for whatever reason, they don't have Eckler on the field or they want to go with two backs? So I think those are still situations that are a little bit cloudy, but I feel he carries the most upside of those guys. You know, I mean, obviously, Eckler, you know, is the top guy, but I think he carries the most upside you know, in the backfield, he could, he could be the guy getting most of the attempts inside the five. He could also be the guy that literally, he could just take the whole Melvin Gordon role, right? And now this offense isn't going to be as good. I'm worried about Tyrod Taylor. I'm worried about Justin Herbert, but the price is right. Um, and so I will tell you guys, if you are drafting with a zero running back, you know, drafter, and you look down at their roster and they've just pounded receiver, and let's say they came back and landed a Mostert or something decent, and then they went back to receiver again, and they were really greedy. When it's coming to them in the 11th round, you take Josh Kelly right in front of them. Do not let them have this guy. That's what I'm going to tell you. You want to draft him because you're going to like him. It's not just to spite them, but don't let them have him Um, because that could literally be – it could be really big for their structure of their team. So um, it works out good for me because – I get to do both things. i take the player I like and I snap off the guy that thinks he's going to get him like a couple of rounds later. I'll just take him a round or two ahead.
0: Yeah. I mean, Josh Kelly, you know, watching him at UCLA runs with great explosiveness, excellent contact balance, really powerful runner. Some of the issues he had were if things weren't, you know, blocked cleanly can make some, some questionable decisions, uh, you know, a little bit of a lack of discipline in terms of his footwork. The thing that I'm excited about with, the Chargers, you know, you had mentioned your expectation their offense may not be as good as it was last year. Had Brandon Thord on the pod last week. One of the offensive lines he was most excited about from an improvement between 2019-2020 is the Chargers. You know, they added Trey Turner from Carolina, who's really an excellent guard. Brian Bulaga at right tackle. So that right side of the offensive line is completely revamped. That was one of their weaknesses last year. They had a bottom 3-5 to five offensive line last year. They should be you know, hopefully up to at least middle of the pack this season. And I think that, you know, offensive lines often are underappreciated when it comes to fantasy analysis. And despite losing Phillip rivers, I think the offense could actually take a step forward just because of the increase in quality of the offensive line. I mean, you watch rivers last year and it's like he was playing on a freeway and he's not a quarterback who can play on a freeway at this (laughs) point in his career or maybe ever. Um, but they just had so much trouble protecting the quarterback that it did end up limiting their offense. Some. So I think despite the quarterback change, you know, I'm not hugely confident in T- Taylor or in um, Herbert for that matter, you know, just the improvement in the offensive line could push this offense to heights that we didn't necessarily see last year. Uh, so I'm right there with you on Kelly as it relates to Connor I do worry about his, his injury status, not just because he's had injuries in the past, but when I watch him play, his style of play is very physical. He's a very physical running back. Yeah. And when I see those guys in the NFL, you know, we're talking, you think back to Chris Ivory, you know, Chris Carson, those guys who really savor that contact, you know, they're very fun to watch, but I, I see them have injury issues. Uh, chop up year over year hop up year over year i'm worried about connor but the thing that swings it back towards agreeing with everything that you just said is he doesn't have a handcuff who's expensive you know benny snell nobody likes a slow running back he ran a bad 40 at the combine so nobody thinks benny snell is worth anything i think benny snell is a very good player not as good as james connor but good enough to where if he is lead back in that offense, he'll produce at a good level. And when you're getting him so cheaply as a handcuff to James Connor, it's really a situation where you're drafting that backfield, Uh, you know, in round two, early round three. Yep, exactly. You don't have to pay much to have the backup plan for the, you know, potential, what I think might be an inevitable injury, Uh, you know, really a, a good value play when you factor in the price of the handcuff there.
1: Right. And to your point, like if you draft Connor, you have to get Snell. It's not an optional thing. He goes late enough that you can reach a round. You know what I mean? Take him in the 13th, reach two rounds. It's okay. That's not a reach. Remember, throw ADP in the trash can, you know, once you're really thinking about your roster construction. All it is, it's there to tell you that if you really want to make sure you get Benny Snell, you do it in the 13th round. So use the information to your advantage and do it. Um, You know, so. uh, I'm with you, but I did. I just I did want to emphasize that because everything you just said is absolutely right. You know, his style is problematic. You know, for injuries, so you have to get Snell. It's not
0: an option. All right. Well, moving on to receivers, we've already talked about a handful of guys. You know, the Cowboys' receiving trio is one that I think is really important to understand. Um, a couple others that I am really high on relative to expectation this year, and I think it's primarily because of a, from a volume standpoint. You know, I like the players, I do, but one is Robert Woods, and two is Jameson Crowder. When you look at Robert Woods, when the Rams changed their offensive approach a bit last year, started running more two tight end sets, more bootlegs, play action, Robert Woods was really the alpha. You know, he's targeted 11 over 11 times per game over his last seven games. The pace was for 175 plus targets. You know, he really has a proven track record as an outside guy. Whereas Cooper Cup, you're doing a bit of projection, moving him from the slot to the outside. If they do stick with that 12 personnel, I think Woods is a very safe bet for volume. We'll be able to capitalize. He's a guy that I'm getting a lot. Um, Jamison Crowder is an Adam Gase slot. When you look at the history of Adam Gase slot receivers, you know usually talent earns the targets. In Gase's situation, you know he's a very scheme rigid coach, and when you look back at Jarvis Landry with Adam Gase in Miami, you know, he was wide receiver five, wide receiver 13. He left Danny, Danny Amendola took over, you know, got 70 plus targets being a guy who's sort of a borderline starting NFL receiver, you know, finishes wide receiver 49, which is sort of where Crowder is going now in the wide receiver 40 range. Crowder was wide receiver 26 last year. uh, You know, with all the issues with Sam Darnold and now the lineup with mono first year in Gase's scheme, I think Crowder has, you know, easy, wide receiver 20 you know low end wide receiver two uh not necessarily upside i I, that's where i haven't projected i think you know he has a sneaky low end wide receiver one upside just based on volume alone uh and again going in the wide receiver 40 range uh who's your guy at wide receiver Dwayne? well first i love both of those um and i actually did
1: you know an article earlier this year um talking about that exact thing with woods um, it's in my tier article at PFF, you know, where I go super deep on each one of these guys. Like I don't write like 50 articles. Maybe I should, cause I would make more Jay, but I feel like for the consumer, I'd rather give you everything you need in my tier article. So you can go check that out. And it actually breaks down a lot of the stuff that Jay just talked about when they went to 12 also agree on Crowder. I love the fact that you can get him so late, right. And it is the volume. And what I like is he, he allows you, Jay, you're kind of tucking away a guy, you know what he's going to do. He gives you that floor. And so that way, say if C.D. Lamb starts off slower than we think, and you took him in the eighth, well, Crowder's easily can go into your lineup, right? You know, for those weeks.
0: Yeah. I mean, we talked about, we talked about getting two running backs. I think Crowder for me is one of those things where you think about what can happen later on where I'm like, all right, I know I'm going to be able to get Crowder, you know, whether he's my wide receiver three, whatever that floor is there. I can, I can wait a little bit longer on receiver because I know I have these guys I'm going to be able to get.
1: Yeah. So I'll throw out one receiver and again, this is a higher draft pick, but I'm not afraid of, at all of DeAndre Hopkins. I, I I understand the fact that he's changing teams. I understand the fact that he could potentially see a little bit of a setback. But when I look at the complete picture for Hopkins, I also see multiple paths for him you know, to do much more than what people are thinking. Number one, You know, last year, the Cardinals just, you know, they ran the second highest pace of plays, you know, in the league, but their time of possession was the second to last. They only held the ball for 45% of plays, Jay. If they just slight, that's, it's hard to be that bad. If you just slightly improved to say like a 47 and a half, 48%, they would essentially ran the same number of plays as the Cowboys did last year. So you're talking a hundred to 150 more plays. So while DeAndre Hopkins we're thinking Cliff Kingsbury, right, in the scheme. And so folks are worried about spreading it around. And traditionally, Kingsbury has done that. That's very true. But it gives you a little bit of a buffer with Hopkins because here's what I don't think. I don't think Hopkins is going to get 30% of targets like he has. But I also don't think it's fallen to 22%. <laughs> you know, I still think he's going to be in that 25 26 27% range. And then when you look at a pace of play that's going to be better than what he experienced in Houston, I think all things potentially just level out um you know from that perspective it's just you know the way I look at it you know this is a player that's still in their prime um they do something I'll let you talk about this a little bit real quickly you know the what he does and how that works with Murray I think you had some really good points you know around that um it's just too good of a player Jay for people to be letting slide all the way to the end of the second I'm not saying put you know, Hopkins and your top three guys. But when he comes down to that turn, that's the one guy when he makes it down there, it's really hard for me to still take James Conner. That's when I'm like, okay, I have to take Hopkins here. Um, So I don't know what your thoughts are there.
0: Yeah. You know, we had a, a Twitter conversation about this the other day and I'm seeing it almost exactly the same. And really the big thing for me is the talent fit with the quarterback. So the air raid obviously is built around the idea of spreading the ball. But, you know, when you're in the NFL, you really have to consider the players who are executing the scheme. Kyler Murray is not that distributor. You know, he's not a Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback where, you know, he's, going, he's sitting back there going through his reads, finding the open man, passing it to whoever's open. He's a guy that really focuses on his first, possibly second read. If it's open, he throws it. If not, you know, there's, there's a little bit of, Room for improvement, I'll say, in terms of, you know, getting through his progressions. And I think that having a receiver that he didn't have last year, that who is open, even when he's not actually physically open, and you know, that's what DeAndre Hopkins really brings to the table, probably the best at this point, contested catch receiver in the NFL, you know, Michael Thomas might give him a run for his money, but having that security blanket, a guy that Murray knows he can look to, knows he can throw the ball to. I think will earn him, you know, I have him at 25% target share now. I think he will get targeted frequently despite, you know, the system dictating, oh, let's spread it around. The other thing is, you know, in terms of Murray's skill set, he really throws an excellent ball to the sideline at every depth of the field, you know, short, intermediate, deep. Hopkins, again, you know, one of the best sideline receivers in the NFL and just his ability to catch the back shoulder, to high point those fade balls, uh, you know work back towards the sideline, his sideline awareness, his ability to tap his toes, obviously some of the best highlights in the NFL, working along the sideline. you know I think that it's one of those circumstances where, yes, a coach has their scheme, but sometimes the talent is different. And DeAndre Hopkins with Kyler Murray, for both of those guys makes me very excited. Yeah. Getting get to the end here. just want to touch on tight ends really quickly. An overlooked position in fantasy football. One guy that I'm high on, you can get him very cheap, very late in the draft. He's on a lot of my fantasy teams, is Greg Olson. You know, the veteran guy. Nobody thinks he has anything left. A very savvy route runner, can still work the seam, athletic enough to get down the field. Russell Wilson has targeted tight ends, around 20% target share the past couple years. Uh, You know, you look at what happened last year with Will Disley going down. Jacob Hollister comes in. You know, he's having some explosive fantasy weeks as a guy who's sort of that, you know, fullback, tight end, H-back combination, not necessarily a proven receiver. I think Greg Olson really brings an added element to their offense, and he doesn't have to win. The defense is not going to try to take him away. They're going to be focused on DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, who are really, you know, excellent wide receivers. I think Olson could easily earn, you know, we're talking 15 to 18% of the targets there. And and do a lot of damage there, and he's he's going very late in your drafts.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, you know, that's a guy that your your buddy Matt Matt Walden, <laughs> he talks about Olson a lot, and for for the same reasons, um, you know that you just mentioned. So yeah, I'll, since you went with a later round guy, I'll go with a, a semi, you know, early round guy. He doesn't go where Kittle and Travis Kelsey go, but I think the next player that has the best chance to peek their head into that tier. Is going to be Mark Andrews, and so you've got Hayden Hurst gone to the Atlanta Falcons. And last year, um, you know, as far as you know, percentage of times that when Lamar Jackson was dropping back to pass, how often was Mark Andrews running a route? Well, only sixty-one percent. That's one of the lower marks in the league. And look what he did. Now, efficiency obviously could come down. There could be other things that go on. You know, with his touchdowns. But if you give him another twenty percent. You know, as far as, you know, him being in a route when his quarterback is dropping back to pass, I think that obviously, you know, opens up, you know, just additional upside at the same time, right? So he could even regress and catch more balls and still score more fantasy points depending on your format. So Andrews is a guy I love. And again, it's back to what you talked about. I love the scheme fit. It's an offense that just totally puts linebackers and safeties in a complete bind. Um, because of all the play fakes with you know Lamar Jackson they got to worry about Mark Ingram you know they 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 run more trick look type plays than anybody else in the NFL so there's their coaching staff is always doing things to keep the defense you know second guessing and I think that's a huge part of what allowed now Andrews obviously has talent but when you pair him into that scheme you know it just gets him you know really wide open looks, which are crazy. And it's pretty consistent. That's what's crazy about it. You know, you'll see some wide open looks here and there in the NFL, but how many he gets to see is pretty, pretty ridiculous. And a lot of that comes back to the scheme and he works the area of the field where really Lamar Jackson is the most accurate. He works those hash marks um, that, you know, 10 to 20 yard range. That's really where Lamar Jackson's kind of at his best throwing the football. So I feel like this is just a perfect storm, Jay, with Mark Andrews. And so if you're drafting in a typical 12 man PPR league, and he slips into the fourth round. It's like I'm pounding, you know, the draft button. If you're playing in a tight end premium type format, I mean, I I never let him out of the third round, um, you know. For the most part, once it gets past maybe the first couple of picks in the third round, like Andrews is squarely in my queue.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest things that I try to hone in on with my analysis is that scat, that talent scheme fit. I think the Ravens, you know, from from head to toe, you know, from quarterback on down, everything about that offense just makes a lot of sense. When you start thinking about how Greg Roman wants to run his offense, like you said, you know, a lot of deception. They're one of the few teams that run, you know, significant number of, you know, option run style plays. We're talking about Veer. <laughs> so obviously fits really well with what Lamar Jackson does. Those linebackers and safeties, as you said, You know, their heads are already spinning because of everything that's going on in the run game. And Greg Roman has used that throughout the years to target the tight end. Now he has the perfect quarterback to run that stuff, the perfect tight end to run that stuff. Tons of talent in the backfield now, you know, from a running back perspective, when you think about the established vet, Mark Ingram, J.K. Dobbins, who's really a dynamic talent in space. And this offense creates a lot of space for those running backs. And even Gus Edwards, who, you know, is a a very solid workman-like back. I'm really excited about this offense. Dwayne, it's been a pleasure having you on here. I feel like we touched on so many relevant things for people doing their fantasy drafts this weekend. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for the work you do at Pro Football Focus. On your podcast, the Fantasy Football Hustle, you know, your work that you're doing over at Establish the Run as well. You know, it's really top of the top of the line stuff, helping fantasy players figure out how to work their draft from, you know, pick one to pick 20. Let's just get this season started, man.
1: <laughs> I'm ready. I'm with you, man. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. You know, we'll have to, we'll have to sync up again one time in the season or something. And we need to get you over on the hustle and, you know, talk up some stuff. Once we get a couple of weeks of football under our belt, and I want to know what you're seeing, you know, what is it that, what are your observations? What are what are the things that may be going on that people aren't thinking about um, that may, you know, cascade into leading to some different events, you know, later in the fantasy football season, you're always really, really good at, you know, picking out those types of things. So yeah, we'll have to get you over on the fantasy football hustle as well.
0: Book it. I'll be happy to join you on there. Thank you guys for listening to the Fantasy Film Lab. Smash your drafts this weekend. You know, 2020 has been a tough year. Let's finally start to get something where we can smile and really have a good time. Thanks for listening. I'll see you guys soon.